And as you're being seated, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. Paul has instructed and encouraged us in our series through Titus to live and love God's way by God's Holy Spirit alive and at work in us. Living God's way is best for us in all our relationships. Living God's way means that we need to take our place within God's family because God has adopted us into his family, and so we live his way uh, in and with our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, with one another. And Paul has made this clear to us throughout this study through Titus. The theme of chapter 1 is right leadership. Right leadership points to the direction of the church. God has designed his local church to be led by elders and pastors. Elders and pastors lead God's people because God's people need to be led. We are prone to turn away from God in sin against God. We need help to recognize false teachers and their false teaching. We need help to navigate through the trials, tribulations, challenges, difficulties that are sure to come our way on a daily, weekly basis. And so right leadership speaks to the direction of the church. The theme of chapter 2 is right teaching. Right teaching speaks to the doctrine of the church. Elders and pastors must preach and teach God's word because God's people need to be taught God's word. Right teaching, biblical sound doctrine, is as important today as it was in Paul's day. The theme of chapter 3 is right living. Right living speaks to the duty of the church. Right biblical teaching leads to right biblical living. This is what we believe, and this is how we behave. We preach sound doctrine so that we can practice sound doctrine. And so Paul has been sharing this with us throughout Titus, especially here in chapter 3, focusing in on right living. Paul told us right living involves, it includes doing what is profitable and not doing what is unprofitable. And he shared in verse 8 of chapter 3, this is a trustworthy saying. I want to insist on these things so that those who believe God might be careful to devote themselves to good works because these are good and profitable for everyone. We who know God are to do good works for God. Good works help us to become more like Jesus. Good works help us to grow in our faith in Jesus. Good works help us point others to Jesus. Good works are good and profitable, beneficial, useful, helpful for everyone. We're to be involved in what is profitable. He said good works is good and profitable for everyone. He continued in verse 9 as he made his way through verse 11. He said, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because these are unprofitable. And worthless, reject the divisive person after first and second warning because you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. And so he says to insist on faithfulness, to avoid foolishness, to reject divisiveness, spending time in foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the truths of God's word is unprofitable. Spending time with divisive people is unprofitable. 
Divisive people have turned away from God in sin against God. Divisive people want to harm the church, not help the church. Divisive people want to pull people away from God, not draw people to God. And so Paul is telling us, get involved with what is profitable, but don't do what is unprofitable. He said you're to warn a divisive person a couple of times to stop being divisive, to stop sinning, to get right with God and to get right with God's people. And if they continue in sin, he said you're to reject them. You're to have nothing to do with them in the hope that God will use your testimony and witness and obedience in his work of bringing that disobedient brother or sister in Christ to repentance and back to obedience. Paul's point here as he's getting close to the end of chapter 3 is a very important point. It's a, it's a good point. Quite honestly, it's a, at times it's a difficult point for us to accept and then even more so to practice. But it's nonetheless an absolutely uh, vital point for us as followers of Christ and for us as the body of Christ collectively, individually and collectively. And that's simply this. Church discipline is a part of Christian discipleship. Church discipline is a part of Christian discipleship. It's not easy and it's not fun, but it is absolutely necessary. Church discipline helps followers of Jesus to grow in their faith in Jesus. Church discipline protects the unity of the church. Church discipline propels the witness of the church. And so Paul has made this clear to us. He has shared this with Titus and the believers in the churches in Crete, the elders who are leading these churches, the importance of church discipline. We see that in our own lives. We see that in our families. Discipline is important in discipleship with our children. Uh, We as parents are to love them, and one of the ways we love them is we discipline them because we want them to grow up and, and be good disciples of Christ. A productive part of the church, a productive part of society. So church discipline is vitally important. And so he's made this clear as he's now turning his focus uh, towards his final words. And so like a good coach, if you will, Paul's getting ready to, to share some final words in this letter with Titus and the elders in Crete. God's going to use these words to encourage and inspire us as well. So it's almost as if we're, we're in the huddle and, and we're, we're reading and we're, we're listening to the Spirit speak to us as we're listening in on this huddle as Paul's bringing this letter of encouragement, of instruction, of challenge, of blessing, of truth. He's bringing it to a close. And so we pick up in verse 12. And he said, when I send Artemis or Tychicus, to you. Make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. So real quick, we see a couple of things. Paul did not minister alone. Paul's sharing some final words of instruction and encouragement with his ministry team. Paul did not minister alone. He was not a Lone Ranger leader. Paul spent his time and energy in and with and on others, with and on others, spending his time and energy in ministry. He was living in others' life. We see this all throughout his testimony in the New Testament. 
He was focused on others. And so he gets to this point in these final words, and he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. I think that's interesting here as we get to the end. I think that's, this is a sign of his continual, fresh, day-by-day walk with the Lord as he's walking by the Spirit and not the flesh. Because Paul says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. What does that mean? It means this. Paul did not know who he was going to send to relieve Titus of his leadership duties in Crete. Paul also did not know when he was going to send, who he was going to send to relieve Titus of his leadership duties in Crete. But Paul said, when I send Artemis or Tychicus, Artemis is mentioned only here in God's word. We don't know a whole lot about Artemis. We know obviously that Artemis was a capable, faithful, mature man of God for Paul to consider him as a potential replacement for Titus in the leadership position in Crete. Tychicus was the other man that he was trying to listen to the Spirit as to who he was going to send to Crete. Tychicus we know a lot more about. We're we're familiar with Tychicus. Tychicus Paul said, is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus was with Paul on his third missionary journey. Tychicus was sent by Paul to the church in Ephesus to deliver his letter to the church in Ephesus. Tychicus was sent by Paul along with Onesimus. Paul sent Tychicus and Onesimus to the church in Colossae to give them an update on Paul and his ministry and what was going on. Paul also uh, sent Tychicus to uh, spell Timothy in Ephesus, and uh, we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And so we know Tychicus had gone to Ephesus to relieve Timothy of his leadership duty in the church there, and now Paul was considering doing the same thing with Tychicus in Crete with Titus. And so we know more about this Tychicus than we do Artemis, but both godly, mature men of God, capable of leading the ministry on the island of Crete. And so Paul had two requests. He had two requests. Once he decided who he was going to send, whether it was Artemis or Tychicus, he had two requests of Titus. The first request, he said, is Titus, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Make every effort means do whatever you have to do. Make whatever changes you have to make. This is serious. This is important. I want you to make whatever decision you've got to make. Change whatever you've got to change. Work your schedule however you've got to work your schedule. I need you to meet me in Nicopolis. I need you to join me there. There was urgency in Paul's words to Titus here as he's coming to the end, and he's in verse 12. We know that Paul later would be arrested in Nicopolis, and he would be taken back to Rome for his second and final imprisonment before his execution for his faith in Jesus. The winter in Nicopolis, therefore, was important for Paul because it was going to provide Paul the time that he needed to discuss ministry to strategize about the spread of the gospel, to plan for the spread of the New Testament church, to continue to put plans into place for ministers, missionaries, elders, and pastors so the work of God could continue. It was going to be a time, a season, a winter there so that there could be time for fellowship 
fellowship with Titus and the other believers, the other brothers and sisters that would be joining them there in Nicopolis. It was an important time. Paul knew this. What Paul was doing was he was making the most of the time he had left. He knew his time in ministry was coming to a close. And so he's making final preparations. And his desire and his goal, as he's written to the church in Ephesus, is to not live as unwise but as wise and to make the most of the opportunities that God was given to him. So that was his first request. His first request was to come to me. Meet me. Meet me in Nicopolis. We got to talk. We got to spend time together. His second request is in verse 13. He continues in verse 13. Uh, and and he, he says, diligently, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will have their needs met, so that they will lack nothing. He said diligently. That means eagerly. It means earnestly. That means promptly, diligently. He said, help Zenos and Apollos. Now, Zenos, similar to Artemis, we don't know much about Zenos. Mentioned here in the scripture. What we know is he's a lawyer. We know he was loved and trusted by Paul. And we know he was a traveling companion of Apollos. He was a fellow minister with Paul. We know more about Apollos. Apollos was a native of Alexandria uh, in northern Egypt. Apollos was uh, said to be competent and faithful and powerful in teaching the scriptures. Apollos had been discipled and trained by Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. We know Paul and Apollos had ministered in Corinth to the church there because we know the believers in Corinth had gotten confused at a point in time because Paul had helped to plant that church. Apollos came behind and he helped to teach that church and some of the members in Corinth uh, got caught up and some of them said we follow Paul and we follow Apollos and there was some discrepancy and some some debate going on and so Paul had to come back and correct the brothers and sisters in Corinth and he said listen I planted the seed Apollos watered the seed but God gave the growth so therefore the one who plants the waters is nothing but only God who gives the growth. And so Paulus was a, a faithful minister. And so Paul here, he said, diligently help them on their way. That literally means speed them on their way. Send them with haste on their way. Take care of them. Paul was challenging Titus and the believers in Crete to take care of his ministry partners. Some of his final words, some of his final action steps, come to me, take care of my friends. Hospitality, as we've shared, was a huge part of the followers of Christ, their, their ministry, personally, individually, collectively as a church. Hospitality was a huge ministry in Paul's day. Traveling Christ followers, preachers, teachers, missionaries, ministers would oftentimes, as they were traveling, they would rely on the local church. They would go to the local church, and that's where they would find their lodging. That's where they would find all their needs being met because there wasn't a lot of hotels for them to stay in. There wasn't a lot of grocery stores to go to. There wasn't a lot of restaurants for them to go eat in. Hospitality was huge. 
And so Paul knew that Zenos and Apollos were doing ministry. And so he's challenging these people, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying, I need you guys. Remember, good works are good and profitable for everyone. I need you to do the good work of taking care of my partners. He said, meet their needs financially. Meet their needs physically. Meet their needs spiritually. Meet their needs emotionally. Send them on their way refreshed. Send them on their way renewed. Send them on their way re-energized. Make sure that you take care of them so that they will lack nothing as they continue in ministry. Because they're coming through and they're going to continue in ministry. So make sure you take care of them because God has work for them to do. And so they need you. I need you. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm asking you, my dear friends, take care of my other ministry partners. When they come to you, take care of them. And so we see Paul, as he's finishing this amazing letter, he's actually calling on the believers in Crete along with Titus while Titus remains there waiting on his replacement to actually put the truth into action. To, again, this is what we believe, this is how we behave. To follow the right leadership, the right teaching with right living. And so we see so much encouragement, so much truth continuing to be taught and re-emphasized. And then he continues in verse 14, he said, let our people learn. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Let them learn about this for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So he said, let our people, as Paul's writing this to Titus, let our people refer to the believers in Crete. That's, he was writing this letter to Titus and the elders of the churches in Crete. So let our people, our people was all the followers of Jesus Christ in the churches in Crete. He said, let our people learn. Learn means to understand, accept, obey. Learn basically here means to, to do, to understand and to do. It's, a, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's a present active comparative. That means it's a command to be obeyed every day, and they're to be active in obeying this command. He said, let our people, Titus, let our people, let our brothers and sisters in the churches in Crete, let them learn, let them obey, let them understand and do. Let them devote themselves Devote themselves to means to carry out, to engage in, to maintain an interest in good works for pressing needs. Here it is again, good works for pressing needs. He's challenging Titus to challenge the believers there in Crete. He's saying, let them learn, have them obey, have them engaged in, have them devote themselves to, have them carry out good works, the good works we've been talking about. Have them carry out good works for everyone. In particular, have them carry out the good works for Zenos and Apollos. But have them carry out all the good works for all of the folks around them, both their brothers and sisters and any other brothers and sisters that may come their way to meet all of their needs, but in particular also to meet their pressing needs. You know this as well as I do. There are times we all have needs. Every one of us, we have day-by-day -day needs. We have daily needs and monthly needs. We have, we have needs that are scheduled, and we know this. We understand this. We know we got to go most likely to the grocery store uh, once a week or twice a week, or if you got a lot of kids in your home, once a day or twice a day. Whatever the case may be, we, we know we have needs. But then there are other times where we have urgent pressing needs. We got some needs that we don't have a whole lot of time 
to hold a prayer meeting, to hold uh, some committee meetings to find out if it's time to go meet those needs. No, no, we, we need to meet them. We need to go. And Paul here is ending on a high note, and he's saying, hey, let our people do what we've been teaching them to do. Let our people, let our people do those good deeds that are good and profitable for everyone. Listen, we've told our people to love what is good, to do what is good, to teach what is good, to be eager to do good works, to be devoted to good works, to be ready for every good work. He said, now let's let them do it. Make sure they're doing it. Here's his point that he's making clear. And you know this as well as I do because God makes this clear to us day in and day out. And that is simply this. God uses us to meet one another's needs. Now we know our God is able and he will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, right? We know that. Paul's told the believers in the church in Philippi that. And God is able to meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And God uses that opportunity and he uses us in his work of meeting one another's needs. And so Paul was letting Titus know, get the brothers and sisters ready because we're making some changes and there's some needs that need to be met. And so we're sending folks and they need to make sure that they are devoted to eating, their, meeting their pressing needs, their urgent needs. And he said, so that they will not be unfruitful. So they'll not be unfruitful. What he's saying is, we're to live what we learn from God's word. It makes no sense to be hearers and not doers of the word. And he's taught and he's encouraged and he's challenged and he's instructed to do good works. And now he's saying, have them do those good works so that we will not be unfruitful. As followers of Christ, we are to do good works for Christ. Our faith in God should produce fruit for God. As we've said over the many weeks that we've made our way through this series. The fruit of our faith in God includes doing good works. It includes the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control of the Holy Spirit of God who is producing that fruit in us to be seen through us and all the fruit of the Spirit is seen through us as we do good works. As we minister to those. And that is the fruit that comes out of our life of faith in God. As God fills us with his spirit, his instruction, his power, his desire, his will, and his ways, then we walk in those ways. And our walk in those ways means with one another, reaching out and ministering to all those that God places around us. And Paul wanted them to be faithful and fruitful, not unfaithful, and unfruitful. He wanted them to be profitable, not unprofitable. He wanted them to be focused in on what was purposeful, not what was worthless. And so here again, he's calling on them to be faithful and fruitful uh, in their lives, in their ministry. And then he continues in verse 15. And he says, all those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. It's easy, and it would be easy here to, to kind of look at this last verse and go, okay, yeah, he said goodbye. The end. Close it. That'd be a mistake. Paul ends his letter with a blessing for his teammates. Now, there's a whole series right there. 
he ends his letter with a blessing for his teammates. Paul loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. He loved all of them, those who were with him, those who were close to him, but not quite with him, and those who were far from him. And so he expresses this love here in this 15th verse of chapter 3. And he says, all those who were with me send you greetings. This means he was telling Titus, all of the followers of Jesus who are with me, we all send you greetings, Titus. We love you. We support you. We care for you. We're praying for you. We're lifting you up. He says, you need to know that we are with you. We're on your team. See, Paul knew this would encourage Titus in his faith in Jesus. He knew it. How would this not encourage Titus in his faith in Jesus? And then he took it the next step. And he said, greet those who love us in the faith. He said, now, Titus, we love you. We're supporting you. We're behind you. We're here for you. We're your teammates. We're praying for you. And now, Titus, I want you to do something for me, Paul said. I need you to greet all those who love us, meaning greet the brothers and sisters in the churches in Crete. Greet the elders in the churches in Crete who are leading the brothers and sisters in the churches in Crete. Greet them for me. Tell them we love them. Tell them we're praying for them. Tell them we are behind them. Tell them we're thinking of them. Tell them that we are on their team. Tell them that they're not alone in ministry. Tell them that they're fighting the good fight with all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Tell them that we love them and are praying for them. Paul shared this greeting because he also knew that it would encourage the believers in Crete who knew Paul and who loved Paul, to know that Paul was thinking of them, to know that Paul was praying for them, to know that Paul was expressing his love for them, would encourage them in their faith in Jesus. And it would encourage Titus and all those believers to continue walking out their faith in Jesus in obedience to Jesus, so that they would do and fulfill those final words of instruction and encouragement that Paul was sharing with them. And then he ends and he says, grace be with all of you. He ends with this overarching, amazing, wonderful blessing. Grace, God's grace, be with all of you. There's not a greater blessing that we can extend to one another than God's grace be with you. Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor of God poured in us in Christ Jesus. God's grace saves us by faith in Jesus. God's grace grows us in our faith in Jesus. God's grace helps us to become more like Jesus. 
As Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age while we wait for the glorious appearing, the blessed hope, the glory of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is this grace, the delivering, the freeing, the forgiving, the rescuing, the saving, the strengthening grace of Almighty God extended to us in Christ Jesus. There's no greater asset for us to live our lives day by day than with the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, applied to us by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, full of God's grace and mercy for you and for me. Paul started, if you think back to the beginning, Paul started the letter of Titus with a blessing of grace and peace to these believers. And now Paul has come to the end, and he's ending in the same way he began, with a blessing of grace to all God's people. Say, grace be with all of you. So what is our application? As we've made our way through Titus, what is our application? And I want us to just focus in on one point because it's a point that he has been reiterating throughout our time. It's a point we declared at the very beginning, the very first week. We declared this is a point that God is going to continue to make clear to us throughout this study. And we'll look at applying it in a few different ways. But it is this key central point. We must, you and I, we must understand and we must embrace God's message to us in this letter and that one of those central messages has been simply this, we are better together in Jesus. We are better together in Jesus. We are family by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I am not alone. You are not alone. We are not alone. We are family in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we see this throughout the pages. Right leadership and right teaching and right living applies to us. Why? Because we're family, and every family needs right leadership and right teaching and right living. And that's us in Christ Jesus. And he has shared multiple ways, and I want to just pick out a few. There's so many more that we could look at, but we're just going to look at a few ways to remember we're better together in Christ Jesus that we see here in verses 12 through 15. Just a few ways to remember that we can keep this focus as we move forward from this place today, this week, because God is going to call on us to apply these truths in our lives today and this week as we continue living for him moment by moment, step by step, day by day. The first way that we're able to remember that we are better together in Jesus is keep the vertical before the horizontal. We must keep the vertical before the horizontal. Paul said, God's grace be with all of you. What is he doing? He's turning our eyes off of one another. He's turning our eyes off of ourselves. He's turning our eyes off of our circumstances. And he's focusing our eyes on the Lord. God's grace be with all of you. We know that God's grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for you and for me. God's power is perfected in our weakness. It's what Paul is saying here is he's saying, God must be first in your lives. If you're going to operate within my family, if you're going to understand that we're better together in Christ Jesus, then God's saying, I got to be first. He is our 
are all in all. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto us. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We get our identity, we get our meaning, and we get our security from God. The vertical relationship with God must take priority over all of our horizontal relationships. We will only be good in our horizontal relationships as long as we're good in our vertical relationship with God. We must, we must make sure that we don't ask and we don't require of our horizontal relationships only what God can give us in our vertical relationship. We get all that we need from the Father in our relationship with Him. He fills us up, He fuels us up, He fires us up, and then He sends us out to minister to all those he places around us. Our vertical relationship fuels our horizontal relationships. The why we do all we do horizontally is because of what God has done for us vertically. He is our reason. And so he's telling us, listen, if you're going to apply this truth and if you're going to continue to walk in the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus and the blessings of being a part of a family, a local church family, and all the myriad blessings that come from being a part of a church family, keep the vertical before the horizontal. The second reminder is he said, take the lead in doing good deeds. Take the lead in doing good deeds. He said to diligently, eagerly, promptly, earnestly help one another on their journeys. He's saying as Christ followers, we are ministers for Jesus. As Christ followers, we have a congregation. You've got a congregation. I've got a congregation. And we're to minister to our congregations on a day-by-day basis. What does that mean? It means we're to take the lead in doing good deeds. We're to do good deeds as often as we have an opportunity because that's who we are. We're ministers And we're able to remember that we're better together as we're keeping God first. And as we keep God first, we're going to do good deeds with one another, but even more so with all those God places around us, within our congregations, because God is using us in those good deeds to point others to Jesus. And again, those good deeds indicate the fruit of our faith and trust in the Lord. Actually, number two highlights number one. When we're focused in on number one, we're going to flow out with number two. Those good deeds are going to come out because the fruit of our faith in God is and involves doing good deeds for the Lord. And good works is our response, as we've been sharing, to God's good work in us. We who have received God's gift of grace and mercy, we who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, we who have been regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, how can we not do good works? How can we not be ready for every good work? How can we not be eager to do good works? How can we not be ready to take the initiative every day to wake up and to get ready to go on our way as we focus in on the Father and as we focus in on that vertical relationship, seeking and getting all that we need from the Father throughout the day and then asking God, just send me to whoever you want me to go to. Show me whoever you need me to get to. God, whoever you want me to bless, give me the word and I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go bless them in the name of Jesus. That's what God's desire is for you and for me. And we're able to understand and we're able to remember we're better together in Jesus because many times those good works we get to do together. We get to go together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And then the third step that he wants us to 
remember. And we need to do this. And he focuses in right here on this in this final passage. Is we need to invest in one another. Invest in one another. He, literally, he, told, he told Titus, make every effort. Titus is getting close. Titus, make every effort. Whatever you got to do, come to me. Come to me. Paul wanted to see him. Paul wanted him to get together with all the rest because he knew what was coming. And he wanted a winner in Nicopolis because he wanted to invest. He wanted to invest. He wanted to spend those days pouring pouring into others. Paul wanted to make the most of the time that he had left. Paul wanted to make the most of his relationships. Paul, to use a sports analogy, wanted to leave it all out on the field. He wanted to let it pour it all out. Paul didn't want any regrets. He won't hold anything back. He wanted to invest. He wanted to invest. And God desires this for us. This letter is an investment from God's Holy Spirit to you and me. And He's calling us to invest. And one another, make them most of the time. Make the most of your relationships. Invest, invest, invest. Listen, don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking to yourself, they know how I feel. make that mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, they're fine. They're fine. I can talk to them another time. Don't make the mistake of thinking, you know what, they, they got it all together. They don't need anything. They don't need me to go over and offer my help. I'm sure others have got that taken care of. Don't make the mistake. Speak words of comfort and grace and love and encouragement. Invest now. Invest today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. It is not 
guaranteed. This afternoon, this evening is not guaranteed. Make the most of the time that you have that God has given to you right here and right now. Care for one another. Listen to one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Pray with one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Bless one another in Jesus' name. Bless one another in Jesus' name. Do not allow the enemy to keep you from investing and investing now in your family, in your wife, in your husband, in your children, in your brothers in Christ, in your sisters in Christ. Don't waste the time that God has given to you. Make the most of that time. Invest in those who are seated around you. Even right here and right now in this room, in a moment, invest in one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. He's encouraging us and reminding us that we are better together in Christ Jesus and we are able to understand and embrace this and walk in this as we invest in one another. These works are good and profitable for everyone. As Paul said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. they got places around us, but especially for those who belong to the household of faith. That's you and that's me. And so God is going to give us an opportunity here in just a moment to do just this, to invest in one another. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in just a moment. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. In just a moment, this altar is going to be open. In just a moment, we're going to take opportunity to spend time in response to the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to invest in one another, to do that, to go, to bless one another in Jesus' name, to most, make the most of the time. Don't sit there and think they're going to be okay. They're all right. I'll get to them later. I'll get to them out there when nobody is going to be watching me or looking at me. Invest. Speak those words. Be that blessing. Be that encourager to those that God has placed around you and start right here and right now. And I know Paul would say as well this morning, as he has shared throughout, that the most important step is to receive God's gift of salvation by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. That is what brings us into the family, and that's what allows us to understand and embrace that we're better together in Christ Jesus. Jesus took our place on the cross and paid our price for sin. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He's alive, and he desires a relationship with each one of us. The good news of the gospel is those of us who were once spiritually dead, as Paul said in chapter 3, we are spiritually dead. We are separated from God from our sin against God. We now have the opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins. Enter into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus as a result of the crazy, amazing, incredible grace of God and Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Say yes to Jesus. Listen, my brothers and my sisters, we're better together in Christ Jesus. Let's not waste another moment. Let's bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of response. 
as our worship team leads us in song and response. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you've got a need, if you've got a care, if you've got a concern, if you need someone to pray for you, make your way to where these brothers and sisters are standing. They'd love to do that. And let's stand. And in just a moment, we're going to start worship through song. But as we worship through song, I want to encourage you to take an opportunity and to go and invest in one another in the name of Jesus, because we are better together in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and let's say yes to the Father.